Hi, everyone. Welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Nick Rohrkraut. And I'm Sophia Simonello. Are you ready to rumble? Oh, my God, that scared me. I really was, like, <laughs> debating what you were going to say today. I'm like, what is it going to be? I was going to say, I feel pretty, but alas. That's another good one. So if you can't tell, we'll be talking about West Side Story today, the original and also the remake, which just came out. It's fabulous. I cannot wait to talk about it. And to discuss them, we have two of our very great friends from the Drama Podcast. We have Connor and Dylan McDowell. Welcome. Drama. Guys, this is the moment I've been waiting for my entire life. This is what we would call the War Council, right? Before the Rumble? Oh, True. Okay, like I feel pretty. I should have brought like a canned West Side Story reference answer. And I'm disappointed in myself that I didn't even think to. Just play it cool, Connor. (laughs) (laughs) We really are so excited to have you guys on, though. I mean, we've been listening to drama for so long, and I feel like you're our like sister podcast for theater people, so we're so excited to have you. I was like very dubious of the Steven Spielberg adaptation, but I really loved it, maybe just as much as I loved the original, which is insane, but we will get to all of that for sure. Well, we are honored to be here. Thank you so much. I am in the same camp as you. I loved the original so much. I thought, who dare touch perfection in this way? And it turns out Steven Spielberg can. It was amazing. He can direct musicals. Steven Spielberg can do whatever he damn well pleases now, because this has been over a year since it was delayed pre-COVID, and it absolutely blew me away. I agree. Yeah, you guys said it all. I mean, is this going to be a boring podcast where we're just like, we loved it? No, I'm (laughs) kidding. I have so many thoughts, but it took my breath away. Also, I want to say... Connor and I are twins, and so for the uninitiated listener, I have a little bit of a higher-tempoed voice, t- timbred voice, and Connor's feeling a little hoarse today, so <laughs> you'll know the difference in that regard. Yes. Connor, you're like Tony and Dylan, you can be riff. Yeah. Ooh, which, which is actually not historically accurate. Yes, because in 2009 in Independence, Ohio, at the Independence Community Theater, I famously played the role of riff at, fifth, or I was 14 or 15, I forget, and it was like the greatest miscasting that ever could have occurred in the history of West Side Story. I'm just kidding, obviously. But yeah, I played a gang leader. And I think we can just end the podcast here because that's the, the juiciest bit you're ever going to get. So, But I really wanted to play Action, who in the stage version leads G Officer Krupke. And I thought, I can sell this comedic number. I, I, at 15, I thought of myself as a character actor, and um, which is insane to say. But sadly, I... I was cast as Riff, which was, you know, an acting challenge, but... You were you were amazing. I wanted wow. to be Tony so bad. I thought that was going to be my breakout role as a leading man. Turns out they thought that I was probably a little too effeminate and young for the role of Tony. Um, but, you know, Tony could be gay. Him and Riff, especially in the original, in that first scene, I think there's some homoerotic undertones. Mm-hmm. 
I think the whole thing the the whole thing is horny in general like the tension that they all are experiencing the entire time is so crazy and I'm so glad that the new film really um capitalized on that I felt like every character was bursting at the seams trying to express something in some way which I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself no Connor you're right there's I'm sorry I'm getting into this too but there's literally a line he goes like I want to bust and he goes, bust cool. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. I know. But what are your guys' relationships to West Side Story? I thought I had seen West Side Story before and I remembered parts of it. And then when I was like two hours into this movie, I was like, wait, have I seen this before? So it was kind of a new experience for me. But obviously, I knew of it being Romeo and Juliet. So you can follow along whether you have seen it, whether you forget that you've seen it or not. But I also saw the Broadway version right before COVID, the one that got canceled during previews. And I like absolutely loved it. There were a lot of mixed reviews because it was this like audio visual musical where they took video into the back part of the stage where you couldn't really see. And then it was broadcast like on a screen. But I was also, I guess like spoilers, if you don't know what happens in Romeo and Juliet or West Side Story, like beware but also go watch these movies because they're incredible i was in the second row we did like rush tickets and i was in line of where they shot the gun at the very end and i was like shook i think that added to how much i loved it and like the elements of the rain in that show this is not what we're talking about today but um (laughs) that is my experience with west side story what about you sophia i think the 1961 version is Probably my favorite movie musical of all time. I think it just came to me at like such a crucial point in my life where I was really young and we got it on VHS from the library. Like I had never seen something so vibrant and colorful that wasn't an animated Disney movie before. I'd never seen bodies move in this way, people dance in this way, a camera moving in this way. And I just remember like that being kind of what hooked me on these musicals and Of course, at the time, too, I loved The Sound of Music and Mary Poppins. Those were kind of my three that I really loved as a kid. That's how I felt about the original and what I brought into this new one. And shockingly, it still went really well for me. But yeah, West Side Story, Romeo and Juliet. I mean, any musical I think that like adapts Shakespeare is really exciting, but also like Stephen Sondheim, Jerome Robbins. Leonard Bernstein, who Bradley Cooper is playing in a biopic next year. Hopefully this doesn't steal the thunder away from that. But yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just love the the whole New York world of West Side Story and the music in particular, I think. I love that you said that because Dylan and I both rewatched the 1961 film last week. And Dylan texted me. He was like, obviously with the chaos and drama and racial tension like that's not the fun parts of it but almost like it's a world i would love to live in like the colors and the dancing and it just feels like the ultimate movie musical right the original it's it's got everything definitely so what are some of your guys's favorite movie musicals is west side story the one for you if you had to pick one maybe what was your gateway to movie musicals Well, I love that question. And it's something that we discuss a lot on our podcast drama, which is this moment called Ring of Keys moment. So if anyone's ever read the graphic comic Fun Home or seen the musical adaptation, there's a scene that's taken right from the pages of the graphic novel and um, established on stage where 
a young Alison Bechtel sees a butch lesbian walk into a diner, a dinette, I believe, or a kitchenette is what they call it in the musical. And in that moment, she sees the ring of keys around this woman's, the carabiner and all around this woman's um, hip. And she realizes, oh, that's me. Like I am this, this woman and I'm not feminine and all these things. And so we've MacGyvered that statement into what it means when you first um, fell in love with the arts or theater or something like that. And I'm sure that Nick and Sophia, you both have a ring of keys moment when it comes to movies in general. But I am curious if you had like a movie musical before West Side Story. And I will go first just to give you some time to think, because this kind of builds off of Sophia's question, um, what other movie musicals we really loved. And I would say Disney was absolutely the gateway for me. Mary Poppins, anything you know, animated as well. But Grease to me is the ultimate movie musical. It just captures this nostalgic moment in time so well. And I would say West Side Story as well. And ironically, those are the two musicals I think I've seen the most. Like they're done locally and regionally so often. Like I know almost every line of both of those stage versions. I mean, I've also been in both in my inimitable youth. (laughs) But um, I think that the movies are just so perfect the way that they are. Connor, what about you? I agree. And I think West Side Story is, if I really had to make a decision, is my favorite movie musical. And I know that Dylan kind of like switched the question during of Keys, but I also love the Brandy and Whitney Cinderella. Mm. I could watch that again and again. The, you know, and this sounds crazy, but, you know, as a kid, it's funny what, what really sticks out to you, but the High School Musical <laughs> series was so impactful to me when I was that age. You know, I was like in not to make myself seem too young. I was in sixth grade when it came out. And it, of course, is also inspired by West Side Story, which I think is kind of funny. And I love La La Land. I think it's a gorgeous movie musical. So I would probably say like La La Land and West Side Story are are my favorites for sure. And Chicago is fantastic. But we'll talk about that maybe later. But yeah, and in terms of like a Ring of Keys moment, I would say it's similar to me as mine was with Dylan, but I was obsessed with West Side Story when we were younger. I mean, like absolutely obsessed with it. And then we got to be in it. So I was, I'm very familiar with the material. And like, Sophia, you were talking about like the colors and the way the camera moves. It's, it really makes an impact on you. And even when you're young and you don't really have the vocabulary for what it technically is, it's incredible that it can really still stand out in that way as feeling so, I don't know, unique and groundbreaking when you're a kid. Nick, what was your Ring of Keys? My Ring of Keys moment wasn't with a movie, but it was with a musical. And it was when I saw a chorus line for the first time. And that's like when I absolutely fell in love with Broadway and the arts, I think. That's like the earliest moment I can imagine. Like when they're in that kick line and everyone is just there on the front of the stage, like that still sticks with me. And this was like years and years ago. But I think movie-wise... It's, it's kind of hard, like, now we have musicals, so it's like every Disney movie is a movie musical, basically. Mm-hmm. So it's like we grew up with Beauty and the Beast and Lion King, and so many and those songs are ingrained into my brain. But I think The Wizard of Oz, too, is another really vibrant, colorful, playful movie that was a bit darker and kind of unexpected to see, at least as a, as a kid, watching these movies. For my Ring of Keys, it probably was West Side Story and just those classic Disney movies. I would act them out all the time. Like with it playing in the background, yes. like you would do it in for like a shadow performance. Yeah. We did that too. 
I was always the villain, though. Like, I was always Maleficent or like, the evil I queen. knew you were going to yeah. say that. <laughs> With the exception of Hercules, I was Megara in that one. But, yeah, I would always, like, act them out and sing along. But I think theater-wise, when I was five, my dad took me to see... The Wizard of Oz with Eartha Kitt as the Wicked Witch of the West. And that really wow. blew my mind. Like, I was so little. Oh, I mean, that's mesmerizing. Yeah. I can't even imagine. That's unbelievable <laughs> casting. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I was just such a little baby, really. Like, what, kindergarten? Seeing this? That I was just... Yeah. I had seen the movie before, but there was nothing really like seeing it live in a theater. Oh, Yeah. And that's interesting, too, in the stage version of Wizard of Oz. I don't even think the Wicked Witch of the West sings. You know what? I really cannot even remember yeah. what. <laughs> but it's so funny they put Eartha Kitt in that role. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, I'm not going to be Glenda. <laughs> no. I don't think she sings either. That's that's great. Isn't oh, my God. Funny? Eartha Kitt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great casting. There was one funny. I saw a link of, like, top 50 movie musicals of all time. And uh-huh. do you know what was on this list, Sophia? Bohemian Rhapsody? No, Nashville. Oh, I so I thought you were trying to like, you know, bring up a bad movie here. No. <laughs> we'll do that later. Yeah. <laughs> this is a feud that between the two of y'all that will never be settled, right? The opinions about Nashville. No. Nashville is okay. one of the greatest movies of all time. Um, five star movie from everyone except for Nick, who famously gave it one star. <laughs> Because I remember, it has a meander I remember that episode. Yeah, it's just it's funny classifying it as a musical and like not a drama, and obviously it can be two things. But seeing it on a list of like singing in the rain and the umbrellas of Cherbourg, like oh, I, do I don't love know, it those. seemed very different to me. That's all. So are you guys ready? We can just talk about West Side Story, the 61 version. Please. Okay, so description here in the slums of the Upper West Side of Manhattan, New York. A gang of Polish-American teenagers called the Jets compete with a rival gang of recently immigrated Puerto Ricans, the Sharks, to own the neighborhood streets. Tensions are high between the gangs, but two kids, one from each rival gang, fall in love, leading to tragedy. This was directed by Robert Wise and Jerome Robbins. It stars Natalie Wood, Rita Moreno, Richard Boehmer, and Russ Tamblin. Awards here at the Golden Globes at 1-3, Supporting Actor and Actress, and motion picture musical. They didn't do comedy musical back then, which is kind of nice. And at the New York Film Critics Circle, it won Best Film. It also won the DGA and the WGA. This movie won 10 of the 11 Oscars it was nominated for, including picture, director, supporting actor for Karis, supporting actress for Moreno, art direction color, cinematography color, costume design color, editing, scoring of a musical picture, sound or was nominated for adapted screenplay jerome robbins also won an honorary award so i think just to get started why do you think it's listed so often on like best musicals of all time lists and why do people consistently reference this one as the best i mean it's the greatest story ever told and i think there's those certain stories like for example romeo and juliet is obviously the source material and it's always going to be retold because it's the greatest story. And I think that this was done in such a way that captured sort of the moment of this 50s, 60s era of, you know, it was modern, but it was also, it's never going to feel dated because of the way that we still have race issues to this day. And there's still gentrification and there's still, you know, the changing landscape of communities. And I also think that because the Arthur Lawrence book 
really didn't utilize any like typical street language. I could feel modern. Like, yes, they say buddy boy and they say other odd Mm -hmm. phrases like that, but he wrote it specifically so that it wasn't actually based on anything that people were saying on the streets so that when it's continuously performed and made, it feels timeless. And the way that it's directed, I feel like it came at the right moment. So the camera is always moving, especially when there's people dancing. It's not afraid to be a musical. And I think it's appealing to, you know, as silly as this sounds, the two genders, you know, appeals to people of all of all walks of life because it is a love story, but it's also like a war sort of going on between these gangs. So I just think that it has literally everything. And the music is so good. It's a no skips mm-hmm. cast recording. You know, every song is great. I put on the original to rewatch it and I was thinking like, oh, I'll have it on. Like, I'll probably be doing other things during it. No. Glued to the screen, watching this movie I've seen so many times, but honestly not in the last decade. And to Dylan's point, I mean, like we were talking about this earlier, the tension is just so real. And you can tell that everyone, like I said, is bursting at the seams. And the way it takes place in such a short period of time, like over just a day or two, like in Romeo and Juliet, you kind of just really have to buy into it immediately. Like, okay, there is all this stuff going on. Stakes are high for everybody here. And adding the element of these warring groups it's all, it's all right there. And then of course, like Dylan said, like the love story, which was always the least interesting part to me, which I think we will we'll probably all talk about this um, later. And I think it can, it lives or dies on the casting in my opinion, because even in Romeo and Juliet, I was never that interested in um, the love story between the two of them on stage, I should say. But watching it again, I felt that the more interesting parts are happening around the love story, but you still do care because the songs that they sing to each other and about each other are so breathtakingly beautiful. It's timeless. So Sophia and I got to see this at a screening with a Q&A with Tony Kushner and some of the below the line producers and designers. But I really liked what Tony Kushner said, who had adapted the screenplay from the original movie and musical. Certain insights of like, Sondheim's least favorite lyric that he wrote was, I feel pretty. Basically how these like four gay Jews wrote the <laughs> screenplay originally. So in adapting certain parts of that to match today's time, but also in making it feel different from the original movie itself. There were just certain bits that I really liked that he discussed. And that made me appreciate it a lot more, I think. Seeing and then hearing from all the other designers, like the costume designer producers that talked about certain elements of working with Steven Spielberg and the very collaborative aspect and project that it was. Yeah, no, I agree. And seeing that Q&A was fantastic. And I definitely have points about that like later on. I think so many movie musicals now, thinking recently about like The Prom and even In the Heights or... Must we think about The Prom? We, we really shouldn't, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I went there. <laughs> I'm going to probably reference it at least once, too. So, Fine. so we each get one reference point of the We prom. really should bleep it out. <laughs> <laughs> but with the prom, it's like, or a movie musical like that, you have maybe a couple of good dancers. You have people who are hired specifically for that. And then you have the stars, like, doing nothing. And I think that <laughs> that was not nice. But I think that in West Side Story 1961 – Every single person can dance that's on screen for the most part. Like the dancing really is center. And that is something that I miss 
when I'm watching musicals today about these golden age classic ones is that the dancers could dance and Jerome Robbins, that choreography, I think it's one of the best artistic inventions that has ever been captured on film. So I think that having something that where the love story is like, it's supposed to be central and it is because of those songs, but the movement and the technicality and all of those delightful side characters make it what it is. And that's a masterpiece for sure. Oh yeah. I wonder, you know, if it's intentional. I mean, I suppose it's based on Romeo and Juliet, but we don't meet Tony and Maria until maybe like what, 30 minutes Mm -hmm. in, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little less, at least Maria's later. And so it's the, a lot of exposition that's set up with the snapping and the wide shots of New York, even in that original one, which Spielberg does something really interesting with this new one, sort of not really showing a lot of New York, but showing a lot of rubble and sort of um, this Lincoln Square demolition site. It just really sets it up so well. It You don't necessarily know it's a musical right away. I mean, then the snapping happens. Oh, it yeah. is just so good. It is so good. I got chills the, the tra- every time. The trailers certainly didn't want you to think no. so. But anyway. <laughs> the trailer didn't, didn't help, certainly. I think too, like... Dylan, you mentioning the opening, just like the snapping and the whistling and the way it starts, it reminded Mm -hmm. me of like a Kubrick movie, like 2001 or something like that. Like you start Mm. with this like big buildup and you're wondering like where this could go and you need it for the rest of the story. And it just, it's so inventive and really original. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad Spielberg kept that feeling there and didn't introduce us to Tony and Maria until later because... Oh, yeah. I really enjoyed it without them for a while, I'll say. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I have so much to say. I have so much to say. And I was so excited, though, when Rachel Zegler appeared. But I I suppose we can talk. We're talking about the original right now. Calling it West Side Story 1961 in 2021, I feel like I'm saying Halloween, which is like crazy (laughs) that that's where my brain is going. Like, as if there aren't other remakes that we put a year at the end of. But oh, my God. Jamie Lee Curtis would be so good in West Side Story, mm-hmm. um, but we'll find a role for her. Is what, anyway. Valentina? No, no, no she's she Valentina. <laughs> oh my God, that would be perfect. Come on. <laughs> what I was going to say is the film came out several years after the original Broadway production. And I think it's interesting that Jerome Robbins was involved in both. And you guys know about how he was like fired from directing... Mm-hmm the 1961 or let go partway through. And when you were reading off all the Oscars that it won, I think it's wild that he got an honorary award, even considering the controversy of what happened during the production. And I don't know if that would ever happen today. Hmm. You know, like a director getting fired and then still winning an award for it. I don't know. It's just so interesting. I mean, it would have to be like a really, I feel like, special case, but I won't rule it out from happening ever because stranger things have happened at the Oscars. (laughs) (laughs) apparently it was an amicable split it was just that jerome was doing all of these reshoots and multiple takes and like wasting a lot of money and time and they were just way way behind and he had shot i think it was four songs but like a lot of his scenes already so there wasn't Mm. much left of the movie to shoot and he was doing a lot of the dancing scenes in particular anyway so i think robert wise had had done a lot of the drama aspect Interesting. Yeah, kind of a weird, him and Robert both won two Oscars, but for different awards, which is also sure. really yeah, bizarre. Yeah. Well, and Robert Wise famously is one of the few people, I think the only person besides Clint Eastwood to have two Best Picture Oscars and two Best Director Oscars. 
Oh, yeah. wow. That's interesting trivia. Wait, I just thought of some more trivia related to Jerome Robbins. Sophia, you might love this. Oh I don't God, know if you've I'm heard scared. this before. Russ Tamblin insists that Montgomery Clift allegedly came up with the original idea for West Side Story on Fire mm-hmm. Island and like gave the idea to Jerome because they were dating. But I just think that is such an odd and interesting tidbit that they, or maybe they already had the idea for updating Romeo and Juliet and he came up with the idea to do it like with gangs or something. But I know you love Monty and Sophia. So I had to. That's a great fact. I remember seeing that like pop up on Twitter and sending everyone into a frenzy. So (laughs) (laughs) I wish Monty could have, I don't know. I wish this was maybe a little earlier. Like if we had like West Side Story in the 40s and Monty could have been in it. Wow. He absolutely would have been a Tony. But Tony? Incredible. Okay, I'm going to, this is again stepping on. I just wish Tony were like hot. Like it needs, I wish it was like a hot role and not such a vanilla role. Uh, Yes, I completely agree. I think, I think he is just, maybe just not your type though, Sophia. Like knowing, knowing the type of man you go for. um, It was supposed to be East Side Story in the original conception of the show about, um, still Irish Catholic, but then they ended up adding like more Eastern European things to that. And then versus a Jewish family. And it was just going to be about families. And then I think that the, where Connor's remembering is someone heard, wrote, was like reading about these news stories about gang violence that was rising in this era. And that's when it was adapted to be West Side Story, move it more towards the Lincoln Square area, which there were certainly like, maybe even just like a couple of blocks of more Puerto Rican communities sort of popping up. Certainly not as far north as, you know, we learned about in like in the Heights, but I, I would imagine those communities had to go north after the Lincoln Square area was demolished for Lincoln Center. Yeah, I was going to say something about a performance in the 1961 that I was surprised by in this rewatch. But you guys, I was gagged for Natalie Wood. (laughs) I don't know if this is a controversial take. I don't, I really don't know what to say. I mean, of course, there's problems with her playing this role of Maria. But you guys, I thought she delivered. She was lip syncing for her life, you guys. It was ultimately powerful to watch her on the screen and I don't I really don't know what to say um other than I think I as a kid was like oh my god well she didn't do her own singing so this is like not you know I don't like this performance but now I'm like wow watching her sing like one hand one heart with Tony which I love that scene when they're like in the dress shop and they're like oh here's Riff and here's my dad and like I I think that is such a cute scene and I'm sad that it wasn't in the new film but I should say the scene leading up to that song was changed but I thought she really, I mean, compared to, is his name Richard mm-hmm. who played Tony? I thought her acting was just way stronger. I mean, she's a movie star, so she was she was so good. Um, I, I read once, because Dylan and I talked about West Side Story on a different podcast like a, a long time ago, but so this just came back to me in the moment, that when she auditioned for the film, she thought she was going to be doing her own singing. And then, of course, they dubbed her um, with the icon, Maria Callas. So, Marnie Nixon? Anyway, mm-hmm. Marnie Nixon? Maria Callas also did dubbing, right? I think there was a few different women, but I think they used mostly used Maria. Not not on West Side Story, but in other films. She was more of an operatic singer, which I suppose Maria okay. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is why in the production that Nick referenced earlier, the I guess you could call it the 2020 West Side Story Broadway revival, they went for an opera performer. Shereen Pimentel is because they were like, they couldn't find Maria, they couldn't find Maria. And then they were like, oh, well, we're looking in the wrong places. We should be finding an actor who is an amazing opera performer 
So they went to uh, Juilliard. <laughs> <laughs> they went to Juilliard. I don't know if, if Nick, if you connected with her performance or clock that like she could really nail the soprano vocals, but I forgot about it being an opera. I was just staring <gasps> he was distracted at by Isaac Tony. the whole time. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I think that if we're sort of just around the conversation of Tony in general or different performances in general, I think it's also interesting that Arthur Lawrence wanted James Dean in like the original Broadway production to be Tony. Unfortunately, James passed, but I could see James as more mm-hmm. of a riff, but I don't know, leading man. Yeah. James did have Broadway experience too, so. Yeah, I would love to have him in it. I do see him more as a riff though, because I feel like he would be perfect there. And Tony to me again, Romeo has never interested me like as a character and neither has Tony. And James Dean just inherently has so much like personality and grit behind him that I feel like riff is a better part for him. But they even in the... I'm going to, Connor, go back to what you said about Natalie Wood because we can't leave that hanging. I know, I know, I'm jumping around. <laughs> but you were gagged by her because, honestly, same. This time, I was... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I was kind of surprised by that because it's always, like, very much, I think, Rita Moreno. Like, she is who people gravitate towards in this movie. And, yes, like, she still was that for me this time, too. But... Have you ever heard what Natalie Wood's vocals sound like in the Maria part? No, she sounds never. Good. Hmm. And I feel like Marnie Nixon, I mean, Marnie Nixon dubbing extraordinaire, right? Like did My Fair Lady for Audrey Hepburn, which we talked about. She's done so many, but she sounds so mature in the part. And I feel like Maria is supposed to be so young and inexperienced. Mm-hmm. And she's this like baby kind of coming into her own. So I feel like maybe a more inexperienced vocal would have sounded better. I don't know. Hmm. I feel like we kind of did see this in the new film, but Maria just got to America. She's totally new on the scene. So I think that would have really added to to the film. But Yeah, she's probably been in America for like a few weeks, if not a few months. Like it's it's relatively fresh for her. So and that's why she's so taken by Tony for the first time. I want to talk a little bit about the Broadway production, if that's okay, because Connor mentioned that it was interesting that Jerome Robbins was carried over from the Broadway production. He was a notorious director, um, choreographer, mostly choreographer of that era. And he obviously, he won the Tony, but the show didn't. It was up against The Music Man in a, in a very big season and The Music Man won. And I think it's really interesting that a show that's pretty much about whiteness in America and like this Americana storyline lost to a show that's about racial tension. I don't think we would necessarily see something like that happen again. I think if you take that away, this, the, the both have great scores, but it didn't even win best score. This was Sondheim's debut as a lyricist um, and the show did fine. Like it was, it was not necessarily like a huge hit that would immediately be turned into a musical, which I think is so interesting today. The most recent examples we've seen of that, like Tick, Tick, Boom and the prom there we go mentioning it again <laughs> it's kind of like oh they're making a movie of that like mm-hmm. i mean tick tick boom was never even on broadway let alone a success mm-hmm. i do believe the mo- the movie was a success mm-hmm. like in the way they made it but um it was the movie that made west side story part of history forever and all revivals of the show have pretty much run longer than the original production did too so it's it's really interesting what a movie can do for a musical in changing people's perspective. And the original Broadway production had Cheetah Rivera as Anita. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. 
She could have been in the movie. I don't know why they didn't try, but I feel like we can't let this pass without talking about, and Sophia, you mentioned it, but Rita Moreno, I think, is the iconic performance from 1961. Literally, she pops on screen every second she's on it. And I was actually interested to learn that she sang most of the movie, but she didn't do her own singing in A Boy Like That. And I I think it's so interesting why some of these choices were made because mm-hmm. she can sing. It's like you were saying about Natalie Wood. I don't yeah. get it. It's funny because back then it was so much like the studios were so scared of losing money and risking it all on unknowns. And they would rather have someone in the case of Natalie Wood in particular, I think be like the face and vocals, whatever, we'll, we'll worry about it later. Like, this is something we can mm-hmm. dive in. But yeah, it was all about, like, who you were putting in the movie. And that's why I think it's cool that in the Spielberg version, he gives us an unknown for Maria. Like, that's something I think in movies in particular that the director wanted to, like, take that risk with the character. But yeah, it was all about that. Rita Moreno, though, yeah, I... It's funny because she's had such an extensive, like, she's had such a long career, right? She just turned 90. But I also was so interested to learn that, like, she has this iconic performance. She won the Oscar for the role. She is actually Puerto Rican in this movie, which is great, right? Mm -hmm. They did not do that all the time back then. Don't even do it now. But she didn't get another role for seven years. Mm -hmm. And you would think, like, the Oscar would have at least, like, helped her into some sort of stardom or bring her more success but have you guys ever watched her oscar acceptance speech the moment when i think rock hudson announces that she won the award it is i I have the chills thinking about it right now it is just pure joy oh my god i love her so much i'm so happy that they brought her back for spielberg's version rita moreno also when she was she was dating Marlon Brando at the time or was like mm-hmm. fresh off of dating Marlon Brando. Um, she mentioned in an interview more recently that they actually had her darken, like use some like makeup that darkened her skin, yeah. which is just like crazy. And then you've got Natalie Wood, who's clearly like white, but also they were doing something there as well. Mm-hmm. There's a colorism element between the two female leads in this story as well. That's really interesting. And that's why I'm glad that someone like who we haven't mentioned yet, Ariana DeBose in the new West Side Story film, you know, she is Afro-Latina. And so like, they obviously didn't have to do anything there, but they were able to keep in that line of dialogue where they, I think they call her Bernardo's black Mm -hmm. girlfriend or something. They call her like something offensive and like, I mean, the dialogue hits hard, you know, it it, it pulls off what it needs to. Whereas you have Maria who's more light-skinned. And I think it's interesting that Rachel Zegler is also Mm -hmm. more more of a light-skinned Latina. So it's just, it's really, I mean, it's interesting that a movie that was made, what, 50, 60 years ago, still resonates today, especially with this new version. Wait, the makeup in the original is crazy on everyone. Like, I just have to say, like, I feel like Ross Tamblin's makeup is also so crazy. I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking, but. Well, speaking of the casting more, I think that's so interesting that you have George and other of the Jets who are Greek and like Rita Moreno is the only Puerto Rican that they cast. And you talk about the makeup they had to put makeup on these other actors who were of whatever descent, but they also had to do it to Rita to match them. And she was like, I'm not this dark. And the makeup artist at the time was apparently like, what are you racist? He said that to her. And it was like, no, but the way that they were trying to either portray the Puerto Ricans in the film or 
make everybody look the same. And that's partly why I really love the Ariana casting because she does add this other element, seeing Mm -hmm. different sides to the Puerto Rican community. I think that was important. And, you know, I've seen some negative reactions to all of that too and casting. And it's kind of something you always get with movies like this, Um, Mm -hmm. especially from a movie, a screenplay written by white men. Entirely. I mean, the 2021 version too, though. Like that didn't change this time. Still all white men. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, What my only other critique about the original film, and then we can move on if you guys want to, is that I don't think the guys are hot enough across the board. So (laughs) that's my final stamp on it. It would be much better if they were a little bit cuter. I also think Natalie Wood should have been nominated for an Oscar. (gasps) Honor's dying Ah, on this hill for Natalie Wood today. I am. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I would say my favorite part, other than Rita in the original, is actually Richard Famer. I thought he was like entrancing as Tony, and I thought he really popped off the screen in his his cute little jacket and his luscious lips. I mean, I thought he was handsome and like a really great leading man. Well, Dylan, to that point, he played Tony with much more joy than the Tony in the 2021 version where you were like, oh my gosh, I see this young kid in love. He doesn't look that young, even though he was, but you're like this young kid in love. And that's ultimately like part of the main story. They made the the decision to make Ansel Elgort's Tony a hardened criminal, which I think added some layers (laughs) to his storyline. Yes, they did. Oh my God. But no, I know. Sorry, I cut you off. A boy who kills cannot love as Anita was saying. My wig, my literal, it's, it's gone. It's, it's in the Hudson. (laughs) Oh my God. But would Tony have been better as Elvis? Because Elvis was considered, like that was a thing. He was supposed to do it. And then. No. Manager said no, because he wouldn't have exclusive rights to the soundtrack. So he wanted to do his own little, like, um, it was only like six of the 12 songs or something. So it wasn't enough. That's wild. I can't picture it. I stand by the fact that you do not need celebrities in these roles. The story is the celebrity. I agree. Ooh, that's drama. I love it. The other (laughs) uh, juxtaposition between the characters, obviously Tony and Maria, but why is Tony like towering over Maria? And, And that adds to like Maria being this more like innocent and fragile being. But I felt that it's the same in both of the movies, and it was just, like, too much for me. No. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. <laughs> when she says you're tall to him, I instantly got it. You just see this, like, tall guy who you've never seen before, and you're in this, like, brand new place. Oh, my God. The height difference is essential. <laughs> she thought to herself, that's Baby Driver. <laughs> no, I did, I did love insane. that moment. The height difference, I think, just creates a bit of a power dynamic perhaps Mm -hmm. which is interesting in the original tony instigates the first kiss between the two of them but in this one she's like this giddy Mm -hmm. schoolgirl. you notice that she kisses him first he's like whoa i'm more traditional than that um i think it levels the playing field in that way after i mean he is super tall though yeah we always end every movie with if you could give this movie one oscar what would it be anyone who's ready to go first I will give Rita Moreno her Oscar for this movie. And she's an EGOT, right? Yes, trust. She is. There's an incredible video of her saying that she doesn't care about awards for this season with her EGOT in the background. (laughs) (laughs) Legend. 
This is hard for me because I would have given a different answer a week ago, <laughs> but I think today Natalie would <laughs> as Maria. <laughs> All of the film peers of Nick and Sophia's are going to be like, get this expletive off this podcast right now. We do not need. It's, so this is not a good situation, but although her performance stood out to me a lot this time, I have to say best picture. It is an incredible picture. Come on. Time. It's timeless. I already said that, but it's just true. I'm going to go with best cinematography. This is also the only Oscar Daniel Fapp ever won, but I think watching it, like you watch the overture in the very beginning. I think that was like a very powerful way to start this movie visually, you know, seeing these lines and then understanding that it's New York city and the colors. Oh my God. The colors in this movie Mm -hmm. just pop all throughout, you know, from the dancing, my favorite element is a transition from the dress shop of Maria. She's twirling in this dress and then it turns like kaleidoscopic Mm -hmm. where it's like technicolor and then it transitions into a very red filter at the dance and then it fades in blew my mind hands down ed scott too this is so hard i think i'm gonna do yeah supporting actress for rita moreno that's the one that i think of yes yes rita like i love her in this Mm -hmm. role i think it means a lot Mm -hmm. Second place, though, I would definitely choose editing. I think the editing in this movie is phenomenal. Just stunning. So before we get to the 2021 version, we have Smasher Pass. It's back. back. If you listen to the Dune episode, you might remember that wild segment. (laughs) But Connor and Dylan, thank you for being good sports and wanting to play this with us. We are going to do Smash or Pass with Movie Musical Men. It is Oscar Wilde herstory <laughs> to be a part of a Smasher Pass. So the pleasure is ours. Without a doubt, we want to do this. Okay, so our first person is Philip Carlyle in The Greatest Showman, played by Zach Efron. One, two, three. Smash. <laughs> do, we, do we do a countdown or is it like the voice? No, I just knew everyone would smash him, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, he'd smash oh. me if we're being honest. Anyways. <laughs> This is the greatest show, after all. <laughs> Zach Efron's return to movie musicals after Hairspray, which he vowed he would never return because he didn't even want to do that Footloose remake as a musical. And then and then he comes back in this. He sings unbelievably well. Um, and this is the last example of a lips and fear life in movie musicals, except for, well, sorry, him in High School Musical was, except for Rebecca Ferguson's Jenny Lind, which she was a lip sync artist in that as well. And that song, Never Enough, is just... Well, when you hear it in the club and it's like this remix, it's amazing. <laughs> it really does pop off. <laughs> okay, next up, we have Seb in La La Land, played by Ryan Gosling. Another easy three, two, one. Smash. to one, y'all. <laughs> he can talk to me about jazz any time of day. <laughs> the way he just like talks so passionately about everything, too, and he just, he knows what he wants... And he looks like Ryan Gosling. He's playing Ryan Gosling. He is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Scorpio King, Ryan Gosling. <laughs> very intense. <laughs> okay, next we have Jean Valjean in Les Mis, played by Hugh Jackman. I'm going to pass. I'm also going to pass. I will. I would smash. He's so hardened and strong. That opening scene where they're pulling on the ropes. You're Wait, you're right. I'm going to smash, too. I was going to say that... He cleans up, too. Yeah, he does. He can, like... Yeah, he has that, like, rugged side, but he also could be in a political office. Like, great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
I'm passing here, but how do you guys feel about Russell Crowe in Les Mis? Same or opposite? <laughs> okay, my same-sex partner would smash, and he revealed this to me the other day, and I filed it under irreconcilable differences. <laughs> I said, are you crazy? He's an obsessive lunatic, the character. Like... <laughs> I have a feeling Sophia's gonna upset me right now. <laughs> I um yeah, I would, sadly. <laughs> when I see Russell Crowe now, I think of the way he looked in that movie with Lucas Hedges as the conversion therapy. Oh, oh no. God. The loved boy. Oh, erased. Boy erased. Boy erased. <laughs> loved boy Dylan is the book turned play from the inheritance <laughs> yes. that Toby writes. Yes, different, different story. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, no. It's a pass. I think that Javert just needs, he needs love in his life, or at least just like some comfort. Maybe that would turn him away from his pursuit. Want to bust. Fix him. <laughs> <laughs> he needs to bust like the Jets. Next up is Christian from Moulin Rouge, played by Ewan McGregor. I am not attracted to Ewan McGregor at all, so it's a pass for me. Oh my God. Wow. I know. But Christian as a as a character, I do I actually, you know what? Perhaps it's my the love of my Broadway life, Aaron Tovate, mm-hmm. plays this role on Broadway. And, and it is my like eternal past, my hall pass, my third, my everything. Aaron Tovate is my baby daddy. And that is a smash times a five thousand. He's the most smashable character in Les Mis as well. Yes, he plays Angel Ross, and mm-hmm. I completely forgot for a second. Okay, well, we did enough Les Mis, though. So. Yeah, I'm taking back my comment about Javert as well. Mm. I love that. I would I would smash Christian. He's passionate. I feel like he's a good lover. <laughs> yeah, I would smash, too. Me, too. I think this was, like, the first movie musical man that I really loved, besides one more that's coming mm. a little later. But, like, one of the early ones. Respect. Next, we have... Bert in Mary Poppins, played by Dick Van Dyke. It's a pass. It's a pass for me. Only Sophia needs to answer this question. (laughs) It's also a pass for me. I he would have to be silent the entire time because I could not with the accent. (laughs) He'd have to bathe. I I was gonna say he stinks. (laughs) That's less concerning, really, to me than the voice. (laughs) What about Mary Poppins Returns? The Lynn character. Are you speaking of Lynn (laughs) Manuel? No, Dick Van Dyke. Oh, the... Oh! <laughs> I had to excuse myself. He's ancient, Nick. He's at death's door this in that movie. hasn't stopped Sophia before. Yeah, that, this is for her. <laughs> it's a pass. I promise. Okay, I'm glad we agree on this very crucial point. Next is Danny and Greece, played by John Travolta. This is the one. Smash. Mm-hmm. Ash. <laughs> when he decides he thinks he wants to impress Sandy by being a jock and he's in those short shorts. I mean, come on. The whole movie. We're in the end with the leather. Ooh. Oh, Nick. <laughs> he fulfills every fantasy. <laughs> okay, next, Captain Von Trapp in The Sound of Music, played by Christopher Plummer. Smash. Smash. For sure. This might be my Pass. number one no. pick on the list. Hold on. Wow. Why are you passing? We we have different types. This is his eyes twinkle. Mm-hmm. Yes, right, exactly. When he sings Edelweiss, I mean, come on. He's he He's fi- a young nun no, literally leaves sorry. her religious duties to be with him. Yeah. I mean, he is irresistible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
She's a nun, yeah. Yeah, she's in, in training. The convent. Mm-hmm. I couldn't think of the word. I'm like her religious <laughs> duties. Yeah. Benedetta, yeah. <laughs> this is kind of one of my favorite movie musicals. Uh, is that a bad thing? This is Sweeney Todd from the titular Sweeney Todd, played by Johnny Depp. Um, definite pass, but mm-hmm. it's one of those fans of the musical hate the movie. But I think the movie is actually enjoyable because of oh, Helena yeah. Bonham Carter mm-hmm. um, as Mrs. Lovett. Yeah, he, definite he's pass. A he would murder you in your sleep. And I'm not a Johnny Depp girl, so I'm going to pass. You are a nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, aren't we, yeah, all? we all are there. <laughs> <laughs> but this is about the character. Mm-hmm. The character. Okay, Sweeney is crazy. I'm going to pass. I know you were waiting on that one, too. Not as not as much as before. <laughs> Definite pass, though. Okay, next we have Guido Contini in Nine, played by Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, it is a pass for me. Guido is too complicated for me. Too, mu- too many mommy issues throughout the movie. It's about the nine women in his life, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the titular nine. Um, he's sexy and everything. Smash. Thank you. I would say pass here. Sophia, don't hate me. I mean, <laughs> I expected that. He's too, like, disheveled and power-driven, I think, here. I would smash from, like, my beautiful laundrette or even, I mean, chaotically, there will be blood. Oh, my God. He's 100% a smash and there will be blood. Still that, yeah. Covered but in the here, oil? it's like, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay, next we have Jonathan Larson in Tick, Tick, Boom, played by Andrew Garfield. It's going to be a pass from me. Smash. Hard pass from me. Smash. Nick, you and I are on the same page today, which is shocking. Usually it's me and Sophia. (laughs) Are we all the same? I feel like this happens, Mm. though, in our text threads. Yeah. I like Mm -hmm. this. Jonathan Larson, like, I just, the mania, I... uh, no, I couldn't deal with it. It'd be a lot. I think that the, I actually like the the complicated genius. Okay, next we have Benny from In the Heights, played by Corey Hawkins. Smash. smash. Total smash. smash. Total smash. Easy. Next we have Billy Flynn in Chicago, played by Richard Gere. Smash. They famously offered that role to John Travolta, and he was like, no, movie musicals are done. This is not Ooh. a thing. He skipped out on it. And of course, it was a huge success, Chicago. And Richard Gere was like, a moment in time. Come on. And then John Travolta, when they offered him Hairspray, he was like, okay, well, I guess movie musicals are back. So I'm doing Hairspray. That's so funny. <laughs> um, this is a pass for me. Billy Flynn is not attractive to me. He's so attractive to me, especially Richard Gere. So <laughs> I have to say smash. This is a sharp-looking Richard Gere, but I'm going to go with Dylan. I'm going to say pass. What? You guys. Nick, this this team-up is so unexpected today. I, just... I know. I'm gagged. Next is Aaron Burr in Hamilton. Smash. I would say smash. I'm more of a, definitely more of an Aaron Burr girl than Hamilton, easily. Um, It's a smash for me, for sure. I think I'm going to pass, but I would smash... John Lawrence, Philip Hamilton, played by Anthony Ramos. Well, same. Definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm, I think I would pass. On, on that character, yeah. yeah. There's homoerotic undertones between John Lawrence and Hamilton. There's like a whole like gay Reddit thread about it. That the way yeah. they would sign each other's the letters to each other, it was very intimate. This is a listener suggestion. <laughs> 
Frankenfurter in Rocky Horror Picture Show, played by Tim Curry. <laughs> yeah, Smash, for sure. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, I don't want to spoil Rocky Horror, but like, let's get that alien dick. <laughs> <laughs> it's a smash for me, too. Frankenfurter is freaky. This is Tim Curry at some of his best, and I almost wanted to be Frankenfurter for Halloween. I will say pass, but. Some of these costumes that he's in, he really pulls off. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm going to say pass, unsurprisingly. <laughs> <laughs> but respectfully. Yeah, respectfully decline. <laughs> like um, like Catherine Heigl in her Emmy nomination that one year, she respectfully declined. <laughs> it's true. Next up, we have, from a movie I still haven't seen, Rum Tum Tugger in Cats, played by Jason Derulo. I will bravely kick this off with Smash. He is one of the first people I followed on TikTok in the pandemic. And the fact they had to edit out his cat appendages is so hot to me. And I love him. <laughs> wait, for- Dylan, wait, tell me I this again. About he has, his suit. bulge was so big in the tights that they had to literally edit it all out. Holy. I love that. Smash. Idris Elba and Cats too. Smash. I'm sure there was editing there. Is this all going to be cut? Anyway. <laughs> we need to keep us a certain rating, right? This has been a, a 30 minute smash or pass. I, I imagine this could be a bonus episode released like the next week. <laughs> I'm going to pass. <laughs> After all that. Yeah. Anything associated with cats, it just terrifies me. I can't do it. For our last one, just riff tony and bernardo in this west side story so 2021 all three of them not together unless you want that to be but well i would i would love all three together but yeah smash all of them of course of course even even riff who i he's a bit thin for my liking but um yeah they're all very hot to me in different ways i'm only gonna smash riff Bernardo is too fierce for me, and Tony will probably get there, but we're bleeping out that actor playing that character. So what were you going to say, Dylan? I agree with you once again. Today has been so wild. Yeah. This is crazy. That's the drama of the episode. (laughs) I know. (laughs) An unlikely unlikely alliance. (laughs) I think you guys know how I feel about men who look like they haven't been in the sun for 10 years. (laughs) So I'm going to pass on Riff. Or had Spanish flu. <laughs> or had yeah, the Spanish flu. Any like Victorian ailment, I'm going to say no. The only one I would smash here would be Bernardo. Um, he's the only one of them I found like I was actively attracted to in the movie. And yeah, he's just like very fierce. Like I like that, Nick. So I'm going to say smash. Tony big clinger energy like no i do not want him stalking me i don't want any of that i don't want anything climbing up your new york no do not climb my fire escape (laughs) i will push you out the window or be lurking behind the curtain after you've murdered their brother like come on right oh my god no everything is no 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 yeah hard pass wow wow um i have a surprise smasher pass for the group yeah you can. <laughs> um, Timothy Chalamet as Willy Wonka in the new. <laughs> Is that going to be a musical? Yeah. Yes. He sings. There's a clip of him singing. It's a pass for me. I'm just going to start kick it off by saying that. I've taken a turn on Timmy. I love that. We are so aligned today. 
love again that. like if you look like you've you haven't eaten in a while <laughs> um smash i'm gonna go pass here the tides of turn maybe That's shocking only because wow. it's Wonka, and I feel like he's going to play it really weirdly, and that's like... Mm. Yeah, I can almost already hear the laugh. <laughs> well, what a way to transition right into the new version. <laughs> West Side Story 2021 just came out last week. It's directed by Steven Spielberg, and the screenplay is adapted by Tony Kushner. It stars Rachel Zegler, Ansel Elgort, Ariana DeBose, Rita Moreno, and David Alvarez. We've already talked about how we feel about it. What's like your favorite aspect that they changed or adapted from the original movie? Ultimately, the men are very hot in this one. <laughs> Connor, smash this is why I'm not a film critic. So. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite thing about the new West Side Story is that they added more context and wrote more specifically for the sharks and really filled in more about the Maria character. And I think story-wise, it might be a better movie, giving everyone a little bit more background and motivation. I'm, I haven't thought about it long enough, but yeah, I think that was what I liked most about it. I think everything worked about this movie. It's almost like they finally got it right. The order of the songs, the portrayal of the characters, the, you know, the, the Jets didn't feel like the favorable group versus the Sharks, which I do feel like in the original, they, they're certainly not both portrayed as these killers, which they are. And we get the idea, even based on that Tony, who started this group, just spent a year in, in the clink for beating someone nearly to death. So it's like, it roots it in this, like, this historical moment, the idea that they fight each other because they can't fight the bigger battle of gentrification and, and, you know, there's the, the police aspect. It just it feels like it was written just now. And this is the first time we're seeing it. And I, I just think that the changes were really important, particularly with a few of the characters, Valentina, Anybody's, and Chino, who all received much stronger storylines than they ever had before that just really shaped out the story. Yeah, I was an idiot to doubt Steven Spielberg. I mean, I feel like, you know, part of that is because I loved the 61 version. I was like, why would you touch it i mean yes like it needed a lot of updating for sure i mean it is timeless sure but it also is like obviously you know it has its problems but i think that what i loved about it is that you know steven spielberg is this director who is so capable of filming movement and he's made so many war films he's made epics he comes across, I think, as a very athletic filmmaker. Like, he always has the camera moving. He always knows where to put the camera. And I definitely got that here. Like, just the way that it opens. I was just sitting there, and Nick can attest to this. I mean, we were just, like, locked in. And I was like, finally, like, a movie. It just felt like that's so stupid to say. But, like, the other movie musicals that we've had, they're fun. They're fine. But this, not kidding, like, made nearly all of them look like high school productions to me. And I know that sounds bad and it's like disparaging to the others, but when you get Steven Spielberg behind the camera and Tony Kushner writing, like those decisions pay off and that's what happened. And I loved the choice. I think my favorite thing that they did, I really did love the Rita Moreno character as Valentina. Absolutely loved that. And that she got to sing somewhere that was mm -hmm. great. And I loved the like darker placement of some of the songs, much more like the original. I think Spielberg has been 
really in Kushner, they've been purposeful of saying like, this is an adaptation of the stage version, not the movie. Like let the movie be its own thing. Like we are taking something that yes, Bernstein and all of these guys, Sondheim were geniuses, but they lived in a different time. So we need to take what they did and research it more and use what we know now to build it out better. And I think that's what they did. So I loved it. thought it was great. And I don't really know the original Broadway production of certain things like the Officer Crumpke song where they're in the police station. They do differently in the the original movie. So I liked little changes like that. And you've all mentioned that so far. And that was something else that Tony Kushner had talked about in the Q&A that I didn't mention earlier, but like switching around the order of the songs and it just felt right here. Not that the mm-hmm. original movie didn't, but I think it clicks in the themes that they're talking about and all the relationships. The direction is phenomenal. I just, I can't get enough of it. Starting out with that opening shot, that long take, it's sweeping through these buildings that they're demolishing. And it's, oh my God, it's the choreography. So many scenes. I mean, we could break down every song and talk about it. I loved how Rita went from playing Anita to playing Doc. Mm -hmm. And I think her singing somewhere, I watched the original after I'd seen this adaptation. And I think her singing somewhere in this way was just like tears. I was shocked. Jaw on the floor. Like, thank God I had my mask on because it was like open half the time. Just from how in awe I was of this movie and how it was captured. Oh my God. Absolutely. I literally had chills the entire time. The, in the opening scene when the jets and the sharks are the choreography, the movement, when the, when men dance, (laughs) it really, it, they don't dance anymore on film, you know? So it, it, it gave me the chills and I had the same experience watching the original, but they, they just nailed it. I thought, the Jets were so perfectly cast. Like you guys already said, the Officer Krupke scene was unbelievable. And a lot of the guys that they had in this, specifically as the Jets, are boys who have experience on Broadway. Some of them were Billy Elliot's. Some of them were Newsies. Some of them were even in the 2020 West Side Story production that was running up until COVID. And it was just unbelievable. And Ariana DeBose, Ariana DeBose broke my heart into a million pieces and i really have of course we love the anita character but she to me is the most tragic figure in the story specifically in this version of it the whole time anita is just she's fun she is caring she loves bernardo and by extension loves maria she's constantly trying her best to get everyone in her community to assimilate to america she's always being like speak English, speak English. You know, she is trying so hard that, oh my God, I'm I'm like going to cry. But by the end of the film, when she goes, she's trying to help Maria. Finally, she's lost the love of her life. She goes to help, you know, the only family she has left and is ultimately turned away, almost raped, just mocked, torn down completely. She is broken by the end of this film. And I think that character is maybe like the surrogate for the immigrant experience in America. She comes to this country because she loves it. And she even sings a song about how much she loves it, only to be 
made to feel like such an outsider in a community where she represents everything that America is to me. And then for it to all come crashing down in this tragic way. And it took my breath away, her performance. And for her to come face to face with the original Anita in that scene was, oh my God, it transcended everything, art to me. And I have to say one of the big changes in this one that really also stuck out to me was the ending. I'm like going to cry. I don't know why I'm like so moved right now, but I have the, I know, I have the chills. Like that. That about. <laughs> oh my God. But the ending is always usually staged that spoiler alert, Tony dies. Maria, you know, sees him and ultimately the jets and the sharks come together in the end to carry Tony's body away. And the stage is usually left with the adults left behind the police officer, the detective, the doc character. And it's sort of, I think my takeaway was always, the story is over and now the adults who created this world, the world that the, the Jets and the Sharks were born into, they're living this out because of the world they came. It's not their fault. And I think one of them even has a line about it, like in the scene at, at Doc's before Anita comes, but or after. Yeah, Doc says like, you're what's wrong with this world and or something like that. And one of the Jets says, I didn't yeah. make this world. Yeah, something and so along those lines. normally the story ends with the adults are left behind having to reckon with the violence and the heartbreak that was there. And I think this movie made such a smart choice that in the end, after all of the violence, devastation, heartbreak, death, in the end, it's the last Puerto Rican boy who is going to go to prison for this. Of all the killers, of all the awful things, the Jets almost rape Anita. And it's Va- Valentina stands there as the police pull up and Chino is the one who is going to pay for um, what he did. So it was just devastating and beautiful. I loved it. And I, I said this earlier to Dylan, but I felt conflicted about how I felt about the characters the whole time. You love the Jets and G Officer Krupke, and then they do horrible things. You know, you you root for them, you for everyone. And then ultimately they're gonna break your hearts. But I think that's what makes it such great art is that everyone is it's real. It felt it feels so real. I think the one of the most interesting scenes that I think captures the zeitgeist of 1961 or whatever year this takes place and 2021 is when the Sharks and the Jets, after the opening number, end up in this empty lot, which ends up playing quite a role throughout the movie. And the Lieutenant Shrink and Officer Krupke arrive, and Corey Stahl, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an interesting role, a plum role, some might say, um, <laughs> starts like mouthing off to them and like, you know, lay down the law. And then the, the Sharks leave, and all of a sudden he's chummy with the Jets. The relationship mm-hmm. that, the, that police officers might try to wage with white people versus people of color i mean come on like that it's it's all right there but the jets don't don't want it they they immediately push back a little bit in that moment too because of their adherence to authority figures and even the g officer krupke scene they all walk away after we hear oh you're gonna end up in rikers they run out of the uh, out of the precinct it's like that wouldn't have happened with the sharks i know right the sharks would have been locked up Mm -hmm. you know Mm-hmm. It's just, it's really, really interesting how prescient that that all is. And I think that leads in with the adaptation. I really noticed how certain scenes are shot in the same exact way. Certain movements are the exact same between the two. Like the way that Tony walks up to Maria at the dance. But also in another way, how certain scenes like that play the exact same because of how America hasn't changed over the past 60 years. 
that's the big takeaway, I think, is, you know, like, how can we further this? How can we make this better for immigrants, for people coming to this country looking for that American dream that they're not finding? How special is it that we have Valentina singing somewhere, someone who's dealt with this racism, dealt with these problems? In the original Broadway production, that number is sung by one of the the female sharks, um, Consuelo. And then they had that in the revival as well. But then it's changed over the years. In the most recent, I always call it the most recent Broadway revival, but the one from 2009 that actually actually had a healthy run, they had a young jet boy sing it. And his, um, I forget what his what they called him in that, but he uh, was like a boy soprano. He sang it. And I think that's pretty touching. And the production that Connor and I did, Are Anybody's Sang Somewhere? But I think the fact that it comes back then for this movie to have Valentina sing it, an immigrant, a person of color, dreaming that one day there'll be a place for their people. Whereas in the original movie, you know, it was between Tony and Maria. There's a place for us amongst all this craziness, you know, like we're just two kids Mm -hmm. who just want to be together. But in this one, it's like (laughs) one day we'll be safe and one day we'll be able to dream and live. And I think that the other big movie musical this year in the Heights, there's a whole immigration storyline. There's like a rally that Sonny and Nina go to in that movie that there's a movie that's taking place in the present and then there's a movie that's taking place in 1961 that are about immigration. Like, it, it's like what you're saying, Nick. I'm just beating a dead horse. The story aside, I think what, Sophia, you mentioned earlier, like, you should not have doubted Steven Spielberg. This was not even on my list of movies I was most excited for because I was just so scared that they were going to, yeah. to fuck it up. And they didn't. They made it better. And the performances were so great that even the one that I didn't love, I can live with it. And I think this isn't a Star is Born moment for Rachel Zegler. Like, she absolutely nailed the score, but also brought so much heart and passion to this character that I've never really connected with, which I guess randomly I'm a Maria stan because I'm like Natalie Wood and (laughs) Rachel Zegler, but she was great. And David Alvarez was incredible as Bernardo. Again, a character famously underwritten and mm-hmm. they gave him a whole backstory about how he came to America first and he's a he's a boxer and I love the story about how he even was brought back to acting to do this film. He left the business. You know, he won a Tony a shared Tony for Billy Elliot and then I think he joined the army and left acting and moved to Ohio and Work. then there's so many Ohio connections. Oh my god. Movie. It's so yeah, Mike Feist who plays Riff was is from Ohio as well and I thought he was David Alvarez was amazing and I don't know why Ansel Elgort is in the movie because no one else other than Rita is a movie star and I I suppose like Ansel is decently well known. I don't know if people could put a name to his face necessarily. You know, he's in two popular movies, but Fault in Our Stars and Baby Driver. But if they really wanted a movie star to play Tony, I don't know if Tom Holland was just unavailable. I don't I don't get it because his singing well, wasn't extraordinary. That's the right thing. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And I, I maybe this is controversial. I didn't I didn't think Ansel was bad. I didn't think he did anything that really popped off the screen. Um, and I thought his singing was fine. You know, he was he was good. He was good. Like, I didn't hate him in this movie. What do you guys think? I thought he was fine until Maria started singing. Really. Like, until you start experiencing, like, everyone else. Well, first, like, 
the way that Mike Feist plays Riff is so different than the Russ Tamblin riff yes. that we get in the 61 version. Famously Amber, Amber Tamblin's right. father. <laughs> it's such a sharp character and just I loved him right away. I thought he was amazing. I was like, I want to see this person in whatever they do, like Broadway show, movie, musical, etc. And then you get to Ansel, and I know that the Tony part is supposed to be a bit, I said vanilla earlier, it's just like a vanilla pudding part to me. I can take it or leave it, and he he's the weakest part of the ensemble, but he's fine in the movie, I think. Why they didn't choose an unknown is surprising to me, and why they didn't recast him is another story altogether, but I think it's definitely... It's the path that they should have gone down, for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. Mike Feist is my standout performance of the entire movie. I think that he is absolutely electric in the role of Ref. He's a, he's a killer, but he's also, there's an innocence to him. There's something in his mm-hmm. eyes. There's He is incredible. Broadway fans would know him from Newsies. Um, and he was Tony nominated in sort of the, the wind sweep of nominations that Dear Evan Hansen got in its year. And I forgot just how good he is. He he really, really is amazing. His voice is perfect for a part like this. His deliveries were dry but intense. That cool number was breathtaking. His death was heartbreaking. He really delivered in this movie for me. And interestingly enough, he was offered to reprise his role in the Dear Evan Hansen film, the role for which he was nominated. Not Evan, but Connor Murphy. Connor. And he turned it down. And I think that... It would have been interesting to see a world where two of those movies came out this year because they filmed at different times, but um, to see him in those two different parts. But he he somehow played younger as Riff on camera than I remember him playing as Connor Murphy on stage in Jeremy Hansen. That's really mm-hmm. true. Wait, who were your guys' standout performances? Mine was Mike Feist too, actually. I would say Ariana DeBose, but I have I have trouble, I think, for me right now. Like, it, it'll probably get there, but like determining whether or not it's the role that I love or the performance, because I think that the role is just, it's, I mean, it is such a meaty role for an actress. And I think she really did deliver and I was incredibly impressed, but his portrayal of Riff was what surprised me in the movie. So I would actually say Mike Feist too. Just to say something about Anita really quick is it's the most winningest role of, of any adaptation of this piece of art. Hmm. Obviously, Rita Moreno won for the original movie, but the actor is almost always nominated for a Tony when this part comes to Broadway. And Debbie Allen played Anita in the 80s in that revival. And then most recently, Karen Olivo won the Tony in 2009 in a very different portrayal. So I must say there might be something to the role. It's almost like when someone's going to play, for my Broadway people out there, um, Mama Rose and Gypsy. It might be, you know, it's almost expected that you get awarded some flowers for that but i think it it really takes a strong actor to to then pull it off as well because you might get nominated but she might not win yeah i'm gonna say mine is ariana debose as anita i think yes while the character is very layered very well developed i think in particular ariana made me feel certain things and understand what she was going through better than i had seen before i think when she confronts maria after Tony leaves through the window, you know, she like pours her soul out that she's so heartbroken. Like, how could you do this to me? And the way she performed that, it broke me inside. I was like, wow, now Mm -hmm. I can see this. I was worried that 
you know, she was also famously in the prom, but I think it all works. Like she's pulling different things into this character that really came full circle for me. Now I want to like maybe change my answer, but yeah, it's very, maybe it's a tie, but also like Rachel Zegler, when she started singing, I started crying. That does not (laughs) happen usually. She really is though, like a perfect case, I think for why you should cast unknowns like why you should find the right person for the role not just try to you know and everyone people are talking about this the box office for this and it not doing as well like opening as people were expecting but this is the type of movie that like people will see and it's just going to take time but it is worth it I think to cast people who are the perfect fit like she was what a high school student and she was discovered like that's nuts and it works she's the best Maria really I agree I hope she gets recognized in some way for this performance because I'm gagged. She's going to have a long career, an exciting career. She's already, totally. she already has some stuff in the works. She's going to be in the next Shazam movie. And then she's also oh. going to be Snow White in the next Disney live action adaptation. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Wow. This was almost like a newfound ring of keys moment for me. Like for me, hey. movie musical wise, her first note, my jaw dropped. I was like, I think I looked at Sophia too. I was like, did that yeah, just happen? We looked at each other. We're like, I was You're giving like, me oh chills God, remembering like, it. Oh my God. Oh, like you said earlier, Dylan, like we don't see them for a while. My friend, when we watched the original, he was like, so who's Tony? Like who's, who's the lead here? And we hadn't met him yet. So I, I like that aspect that these characters are kind of hidden from us. Similar to our conversation about Gene Wilder and Willy Wonka. There's this mystery, and I think finally getting that first note from Maria was like, oh, my God. This nobody Mm -hmm. is a somebody in (laughs) 0.2 seconds. Mm -hmm. And the goodwill in the theater and film community that I'm seeing already is very exciting. It's, like, unanimous Mm -hmm. about her. Well, and I I think, too, sometimes in movie musicals, I feel like, and this is a problem I have with Dear Evan Hansen, that for the Broadway fans... Don't hate me. I will be gentle in this delivery. When stage actors go to film, they play for the back of the house. And you don't need to play for the back of the house when you're in a movie. Like, it's just, it's not the same. And I was shocked that I really didn't see that here at all. Mm-hmm. It, it felt very, and I think that's, you know, that's due to Spielberg's direction. Like, he knows how to make a movie. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved that about the actors. Like, they were just, like, perfect for this as a movie what do you guys think about the choice you know to not do the actual romeo and juliet ending to have maria survive what do you guys think about that do you think they should have killed both of them no Mm -hmm. i i like the ending i think it's it's good it's like it is heartbreaking but with just having tony die but you also have i mean Bernardo and Riff both dying in the rumble like that I think makes sense but if you had Maria die too I I feel like that's almost too bleak ultimately it's an adaptation of Romeo and Juliet doesn't need to exactly be it so I'm very happy it's not we don't get the Romeo and Juliet ending I think it would have been way too dark me too totally for me it's Maria holding the gun saying how many bullets are left is there one left for me I think that's enough that is the ending we don't need her mm-hmm. to kill herself because that's the power in that statement and that in that speech of bringing this community together hopefully yeah i don't think she needed to die the chills that i have right now nick yes 100 <laughs> my only issue with tony kushner's adapted screenplay 
is that he did take away my favorite exchange of lines in in the in the play, which is at the end of the show, Maria is coveting Tony's body, doesn't want anybody to come near it, and she's like, he's still alive. I think he lives a little bit longer in the in the stage play. And they sing a line. They sing a line together. Yeah. Yes. They respectfully gave it just to Rachel for this moment, but. Yes, and it's normally somewhere. Yes. And because Maria didn't sing somewhere in this version of the film, she did One Hand, yes. One Heart. Did you clock yes, that? Yes, I down? did. I was like, oh, is she supposed to be singing this? <laughs> His whole thing is about like dreaming and like dreaming of a world for them. And he says, maybe I didn't dream hard enough or believe hard enough. And she looks at him and, and she says, loving was enough. And I think that that's such like a statement of like mm. the, 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 the innocence that she's becoming, she became a woman now in this moment. And now she lives to carry on the weight of what is now behind her. And I think it's really interesting too, that we see this Valentina character who has never met Maria, but now Maria might grow up to be someone like that, who, who respects both communities and, and um, looks out for people and, and dreams of that, of that somewhere. Did you guys have like a favorite song in West Side Story? And is it different in the different films? Did that change for you this time? Maybe. My favorite song is, I have a love and a boy like that, which played out in the apartment at the end between Maria and Anita. I think it's two brilliant songs. The contrast is incredible. And there were not a lot of cuts in that scene. We, we It felt like a, a, a play at various points. And I thought that that was remarkably pulled mm-hmm. off. And the vocals were on point from both women. They didn't have to go that hard, but they mm-hmm. did. They really did. Mm-hmm. Um, that is also my favorite song, but... To make it more interesting, I guess I'll say in this version of the film, the new one, I loved the G. Officer Krupke scene. It brought some lightheartedness to the the sad story. And I thought it was just so funny. I loved the guys. I, I don't know. I, it was just, I loved the way it was staged in this new version. It was great. Yeah. And I, I love the Jets song. I get the chills when they, they're like walking down the street and they're like, they own this block. So good. It was very Usnavi in, in the Heights mm-hmm. being like, Shh, shh, I'm listening to my block. <laughs> are they singing cool when they're on the docks dancing? They are. Mm-hmm. Okay. I really loved mm-hmm. that. I love America, probably in both versions. Again, Connor, G. Officer Krupke, that's, I don't know why I loved it so much, but the choreography in there um, really, really worked. And did you feel like you really understood what the scene was, what was going on? Like the lyrics are kind of goofy and, and silly, but and they're playing out all these different like caricatures. I'm assuming they kind of come from poverty, the Jets do. And like you're getting mm-hmm. this idea of, oh, like people in this are crazy or the mom is a drunk or the dad is abusive. And I don't know. It's just so brilliant. Stephen mm-hmm. Sondheim, may your memory be a blessing. Thank you for these lyrics. I mean, it is just so incredible. I really do love Jet song, like when they're just all walking together and you get that choreography right away. It's such a good way to like get to know that group. I think this time though, I mean, Ariana DeBose singing America and just the way that they film that. And I really was skeptical about the yellow dress instead of the purple, because again, stickler (laughs) that I think is such an electric song in the movie in, in the stage version two. But I will say like this time, Tony Kushner's choice to put, I feel pretty after the rumble was (laughs) was <laughs> insane to me like in a, such a good way because 
you're like, this is so sad, right? This girl, she thinks she can only think about her first love that she has. And she's like dreaming of being this rich woman in gimbals. And she's, as she's cleaning it with all of these other Puerto Rican women in her community. But at the same time, she's saying like, I would pity like any girl who wasn't me tonight. Even these like rich women, like she in her mind has this perfect like she's found love and she can be happy, happier even than this a rich woman who could afford this scarf at Gimbal's. But you know, because of where the song takes place in a similar way to in the stage version, it's not going to last, it, that it's over. And I think putting it there, it drives home that point that we've been talking about too, of just like nothing has changed and how like Chino is the one left at the end. And it's just, it makes it more devastating. So I liked that choice a lot. Shout out to Broadway icon Andrea Burns, who plays like the more matronly, like sort of the supervisor of the group. Mm-hmm. She is amazing. And I loved seeing her and a lot of other little Broadway pop ups throughout the, the movie. Not as many as Tick, Tick, Boom, which was a little distracting at times. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I'm thinking I'm like, OK, I gave an answer, but I love every song in West Side Story. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, a more powerful vocalist didn't get to sing Maria, not the character, the song, you know. You guys know that a boy who liked me in middle school sang that to oh, me, but with perfect. Sophia, I tried to. It didn't work <laughs> yeah. on me. It was embarrassing, but. Wow. Oh, my God. So now I think of that. So the song's a bit tainted, <laughs> but it's fine. <laughs> so we have a couple listener questions. One from The Futurist. Besides West Side Story, which is an adaptation of Romeo and Juliet and Kiss Me Kate, the Taming of the Shrew, what other Shakespeare works would you like to see or could imagine turned into modern musicals? Um, I think that we, you know, could could musicalize Othello and it could be really timely. And there's a lot of themes there that I think would be interesting. And it could be dark. Um, some some uh, some aspiring uh, Sondheim wannabe could maybe write the score. I could let you know if there's other adaptations. I'm, I have a good working knowledge of a lot of There are so many I would choose, actually, that I think would be really fun. The first place where my mind went was actually to The Tempest, because I think that we have really incredible potential for some dramatic staging, right? You have a shipwreck, you have these really unique characters like Prospero. Miranda. Could Cynthia (laughs) Nixon play Miranda? (laughs) Of course. Wait, is the Tempest where they say the line, Oh, brave new world that has such people in it? Or something oh like God. that? Y'all's memories. Yes. I, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-mm. Amazing. They're great lines, so I feel like you could just turn them into just outstanding songs. You have a theme of magic that runs throughout. Caliban is a really cool villain, I think, for Shakespeare. So I think that would be my choice. Although I love Much Ado About Nothing. Beatrice and Benedict, I love that pair. And... Kenneth Branagh, who did Belfast, also did Much Ado About Nothing, which is better than Belfast. You heard it here first. It is. My friend Elspeth loves that film. I had to give her a shout out just now, but she showed me that film several years ago, and it's incredible and very digestible as a Shakespeare film. Mm -hmm. Definitely. They did it in Shakespeare in the Park a few years ago. Obviously, it was the the play version, and it starred Danielle Brooks from... Orange is the New Black and The Color Purple Revival. And there was singing. It was phenomenal. There hasn't been like a... There was some singing. There hasn't been a main modern, like mainstay Tempest adaptation. There was this off-Broadway musical in like the 90s called Return to the Forbidden Planet that ran for a little while, but it was sort of like a mm. sci-fi 
adaptation of Hmm. the tempest yeah no i'd want it to look like the boat scene in a net like highly stylized that's what i'm picturing what's 10 things i hate about you taming of the shrew which is kiss me kate but i believe kiss me kate to be a pretty dated musical at this point i mean it came out in like 1950 midsummer night's dream should be would be so fun Mm -hmm. oh yeah oh yeah that's like a go-to light shakespeare i think so that would be good I don't think you can musicalize Macbeth properly without it coming across. Actually, we've seen a musical version of Macbeth. Now that I'm thinking about it, I don't want to call it a parody. An adaptation of Macbeth made into an indie film called Scotland, PA. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Maura Tierney. It's like, Maura Tierney, yeah. It's like about, Macbeth is, it's like Max and it's like McDonald's. He wants to become like a burger chain king. I can't with that. It was crazy. And they made it into an off-Broadway musical. And the witches were like these hippies who ran through the, the woods and, Banquo is like a stoner, like his stoner it's buddy. It's like yeah. it was like campy. It was camp. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say they. Like, it's a it takes place in a fast food restaurant, so it's not blood on Lady Macbeth's hands that she's convinced mm-hmm. she sees. It's burns from the grill that she's like convinced she's got all these burns <laughs> all over, and you know, it's cute. It's it's so cool because you can, Shakespeare's work. It's so good. It holds up. It's so crazy. Mm-hmm. And succession musical, like King Lear vibes, right? <laughs> oh my god, right. <laughs> Isn't it kind of funny that Roman is the Cordelia almost in some of the scenes this year? Mm-hmm. And we also got a question from Owen Daly. They asked, any alternate casting choice you'd do for Tony? Do you guys have anyone in mind? Yeah, I was thinking about this throughout the whole movie because I, like I mentioned earlier, you don't need stars for this. And like, like the movie is the star. And a shameless plug for Connor and I's podcast, we chat with different Broadway performers and actors. And two friends of the pod, as we like to call them, came to mind immediately. The first being Colton Ryan, who you all would know from the Dear Evan Hansen movie. He played Connor Murphy, mm. but he actually played Tony in his high school or um, his college production at Baldwin Wallace. Um, it was the last thing he did before he joined Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway. And his version of Maria is on YouTube, and it is stunning. I think he would have been great, and he would have looked age appropriate at the same time um, as well as our pal Zach Adkins who he was he was Dimitri and Anastasia and he's currently in Diana the musical and he has the most sweet voice and naivete that I think would have worked really well and he's friends with Rachel Zegler in real life so it would have just been a great there would have been great chemistry I mentioned Tom Holland earlier but if we're going for like a tall man I don't know if he can sing Jacob Elordi <laughs> shut up <laughs> Jacob Elordi as Tony I mean he would certainly bring some of the darkness Mm -hmm. like he does on Euphoria I really can't even I I have nothing (laughs) nothing to add I'm really flustered now I was talking about like making Tony hot that's how you do it there it is I know what Nick wants Nick wants Isaac Cole Powell to do it I mean we know he can do it he had a really great voice on stage I was pleasantly surprised I was like why did I not go see Once on this Island? Oh, oh my God. I, I saw that. I don't know who else would do it. I don't know. Yeah. You know, we don't really have a, you know, maybe 10 years ago we would have said Zac Efron, but we don't have a leading, a young leading man who does movie musicals. Um, Wait, so I don't know if you guys were planning on doing this, but do you think this movie has big Oscar potential? I love how you just segued into that. Am I... <laughs> Am I the host? <laughs> you wish. <laughs> well, because I've been thinking about it specifically about the acting stuff, which is usually what I care most about. But I'm curious to see what you guys think. We really are like actors, watchers, usually first, usually, in terms of like if this is going to get an award. 
So I usually just think about like, oh, are they going to get nominated? Is this woman going to get nominated is what I really care about. (laughs) I mean, in terms of nominations, Connor, like obviously this is, and not in a bad way, but a super Oscar Beatty movie. And it deserves everything. Like the movie finished. And as the credits were rolling, I looked at Sophia. I was like, it's winning this. It's winning this. It's winning this. Like every aspect um so many texts like dune is a technical movie but so is west side story but it's below the line and above the line um screenplay cinematography editing costumes sound design like i know we don't have the scoring category anymore or it wouldn't be eligible because it's an adaptation it's been done before but everything everything i won't spoil my if i could give this movie one oscar answer but um it's in there I wish there was something for choreography. Can I just say, mm-hmm. because Justin Peck's choreography was brilliant without being a duplicate of the Jerome mm-hmm. Robbins choreography. It kept mm-hmm. elements, but it was entirely unique. And I loved it. I thought so too. That was the, like I said, that was the element I was most nervous about. It was why I doubted it when I first saw the trailer. I was like, this looks like a Disney-fied West Side Story. I do not want it. No, thank you. But I loved the choreography. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, Nick, it was funny when we watched this movie, like at the very end, you know, the credits are rolling and we're like crying, but then the names were coming up and I was like, that? We just kept looking at each other and pointing to them, like cinematography, (laughs) yep. Production design, yep. (laughs) Costumes, that too, like as as the names kept going. So yeah, I think, I mean, tons of potential here. I said on our Dune episode that Dune could be the nomination leader. I think this is going to be Mm -hmm. the nomination leader. Um, just because of its potential in the acting categories and below the line. Yeah, I mean, as far as, like, wins go, I mean, who knows? But this, to me, is hitting that sweet spot of critics really like it, general audiences will like it, and people in the industry will like it and will respect how it's made. And I feel like with most awards season movies you get, it's like, oh, this is a critical hit. But like when it plays to industry, are they going to respond to it? Or critics hate this movie, but industry people are like, wow. But this, I think, checks all of those boxes. And why I think it could win Best Picture. Wow. That's amazing. What do you feel its biggest competition is? I know that you've been slowly making your way through the movies as they've been released this season. That's the trouble is that I haven't felt anything up to this point where I was like, this is our front runner or this has the most appeal. Like that was Belfast for a minute, but I think that's kind of dying down. Um, I think when Don't Look Up is released, it's had some mixed critical support and review so far, but that is maybe the only other because of COVID because of how this country and the world has responded to science and things that the movie talks about. I feel like that's the only other huge contender. But when I saw West Side Story, I was like, this is the best picture front runner because it's appealing to everybody, like you said, Sophia, and it just hits on every level. If I had to vote for best picture, it's not what I would pick and that's okay. I would still be happy with it winning. That's the big thing to think about with the voters mindset is like with the preferential ballot like when you're ranking movies one through ten it might not be your favorite movie but if you would be happy with it winning like it might have a good chance because Mm. there are a lot of people who probably feel the same way i can't imagine i guess 
people ranking this below their top five when they're filling out their ballot. And you want to be in that one through three spot to win. I think for a while, you know, we were searching for that movie of what can it be? The Power of the Dog, you know, that would be my personal winner, is so dark. I loved and, it. I watched it last night. Oh, mm-hmm. Yay. I'm so glad that you did. But it's like a very I, I think it warrants a rewatch as well. Definitely. Definitely warrants a rewatch. But when you're a voter, just like going to one screening on a Tuesday, like, is that enough? After a long day, after a long mm-hmm. day at work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that with Belfast, you know, maybe it peaked too early. Maybe that's me being <laughs> hopeful. <laughs> but it doesn't have the cinematic pop and urgency that West Side Story does. It's just like a cute movie. So could this be the first time in history that the same movie, same story wins twice? Yeah. I I mean, it would be. It's curious to think about like what its path would be, like how it gets best picture. Like, does it, is it a picture director split? Does Spielberg win director again? Um, What happens there? Because I don't think it's going to win adapted screenplay. We can say, like, Kushner, Kushner, Kushner all day long, but they do not respond well to musical screenplays. Okay. But I do think they'll get in. I think it's in for picture. It's in for director. Like, Spielberg has to get in. I feel like if he doesn't get in, that would be crazy. Right? My question is, high or low, is this getting more or less nominations than the 10 Oscars that it won? More. More. More performances are going to be nominated, I think. I think... There's going to be a Rita and Ariana nomination. Yeah. Oh my God. That I gives me too. the chills. That is going to be red carpet gold for like months. Everyone's going to eat the story that alone. Up. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I think we have to think about too, like it could get like the 14, like the All About Eve, Titanic, mm, La La Land yeah. record. Totally possible with the performances, with the crafts, with the time it's coming out, everything. I mean, it just, it feels like that could even be in sight. I don't know. I If Don't Look Up gets nominated for a single Oscar, I will mm-hmm. vomit, but, yeah. you know. My next question is, will it outperform the original film? No. I agree with that, too. I don't think any movie today is winning 10. It's just not happening anymore. Dylan, you said that you think that Ariana and Rita are going to get nominated in Supporting Actress. I, I feel it in my bones. <gasps> I love that. And I think Mike Feist as well. Oh, my God. Wow. Okay. That could be... I don't think that I think that the the lead actress is just too crowded this year as it often is. Let me plead for Rachel Zegler because everyone else who's being considered or the front runners are everyone we've seen before. Right. This is an exciting new moment. And I'm like excited by that. I love Nicole Kidman, but I've seen her nominated before for these things. You know what I mean? Like and all the other actresses that we obviously love, like. I don't know if Francis McDormand, you know, you guys, I would have to defer to you guys to like answer the, these, these rumor questions, but I just think it would be so exciting to get Rachel Zegler in there. And I think she delivered. She made me feel things. And I don't, I don't, I, sometimes when I go to the movies, I don't feel things that much anymore, like moved by specific performances. So, but this spoke to me. I think it would speak to people who don't even love musicals. I think she's getting in. I think the problem with Rachel is that this is her first movie ever. They love that. The Golden Globes love that. Is the Academy going to nominate a first-time 20-year-old in Best Actress in a year that, it, like you said, Connor, it's stacked? Like There are a lot of A-listers that are predicted to be nominated. So that's the only hard thing there for me. I don't know about Rita 
either getting in. Obviously, she's incredible. To me, it's sort of the Bradley Cooper and licorice pizza thing where she has a really small role. (gasps) And obviously, she's reprising in a movie she had been in before and won for. So I feel like that could play either way. Um, Ariana is almost like a she needs to win for me. Really? Which is like we talked about Kirsten all season. Like she needs to win. She deserves her Oscar. But oh, my God. They're just such different performances. Mm-hmm. It's so hard. It's yeah. it's so hard. Well, Nick, to your point about performance time in a in regards to being nominated, it's and you know, this is ultimately a pos- a podcast about next year's Oscars and all things film. <laughs> but it, to talk about the Tony Awards, which of course is the big awards show for Broadway shows, um, performance time is rarely factored in. I mean, there are some feature. It, it's called best featured actor or actress on Broadway and because it could truly be a featured moment it is really different on stage wouldn't you agree Dylan yeah the most recent example being an actress one for one scene in the, at the 2010 or 11 Tonys for Promises Promises I think um, that was the Billy Elliot year wasn't it or the, the year after anyway mm-hmm. who cares? Um, I mean, we've seen Viola Davis get nominated for for Doubt for a limited screen time and I wish that the Oscars were that way because a supporting performance should be a scene-stealing performance. It doesn't need to be a fake lead performance for, like, 20 minutes or whatever. Like, we should highlight scene-stealing roles. Yes, this is me talking about Bradley Cooper and Licorice Pizza. I think I bring in screen time because supporting actress is also a stacked category. And I feel like Rita is up against Belfast again with the potential to nominations with Judy Dench and like being an older actress like they're kind of similar in a way and Judy has a little bit longer of a runtime I think but to me it's like who would get in between them two and I wouldn't feel confident saying either way right now really okay so if I was doing Rita versus Judy it's 100% Rita because she has a song like she is Rita Moreno she's a legend she's 90 years old she is back in the movie that won her her Oscar. Like, it just feels so, like, Beatty makes it sound bad, like Oscar bait, but it is. Mm-hmm. It's sentimental. It's like um, Sylvester Stallone, Rocky, and then in Creed. The Creed. Mm-hmm. Didn't he get nominated for Creed? He did, and famously lost at the last minute, won all the precursors, and lost the Oscar to that hurts me. Rylance. Thinking about um, Rita being 90 now, I think that would make her the oldest nominee in history. Christopher Plummer was 88. I think she's getting in for all these reasons (laughs) we've discussed, right? I mean, (laughs) that's incredible. Ultimately, the Oscars have a huge problem with the dipping viewership, and they need need good stories to sell. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a media thing as well. I mean, I'm no expert like you two, but I I am an awards gay, so I... I live and die for this sort of thing. And like, even like on Broadway, nominations can happen solely for the press release. Like, yeah. Amy Schumer in um, that Steve Martin play. Yeah, Meteor Shower, things yeah. like that. So mm. I don't know. I don't know. So oh exciting. God, excited. I know. I can't wait. Thank you for humoring me and explaining the, the chances for West Side here. I will say too, if Jennifer Lawrence can get nominated at 20 for Winter's Bone, Rachel Zegler can get nominated for West Side Story. Absolutely. Absolutely. It always comes back to my love-hate relationship with Jennifer Lawrence. (laughs) (laughs) 
what if Jayla takes her place this year and gets nominated? No, that's not <laughs> happening. No. Not with those bangs. <laughs> so if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would it be? I was really taken with Rachel Zegler as you Maria. I love the Maria part. I did, what's going on? <laughs> Nominations are different than giving, so I suppose I would give it to Rachel Zegler as Maria. Dylan? I'll give it to Mike Feist. Mm. Wow. I know I said Mike Feist earlier, but I I would give Ariana DeBose supporting actress. She is a close, close second to me. I'm giving it to Spielberg for direction. Blew me away. Love it. Okay, wait. Yeah, if I'm not thinking about the other movies in the race, right. if I'm just thinking yeah. about this movie, I would also yeah. pick Spielberg. For I mean, director. no, I Prove for this wrong. year it's Campion, but I'm very mm. worried about that potential split. Or, well, I'm really worried about a, a potential split because I want the split, and I'm worried that it's not going to happen, and it could go to both Spielberg and Westside. I don't think so. I hope not. It's going to be War of the Twinks and Best Supporting Actor between Cody Smith McPhee and Mike Feist. <laughs> No, I'm giving it to Jamie Dornan for Belfast, and he's a twunk daddy. You both are in heaven right now. Can I right please now. keep that in? <laughs> please. <laughs> oh, um, that's a smash for a musical performance. Yes, for Barb and Star, or where did you do the Belfast scene? Both. <laughs> both. <laughs> Belfast is a musical at the end of the day, I guess, with that scene. If you just watch that scene, which is maybe all you need to see. Truly. <laughs> 40 seconds and you're done. <laughs> I, have, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> so thank you guys both, Connor and Dylan, for being on our show. It was everything we hoped for and more, I think. Thank you so much for all of your Broadway insight and for just like being such great friends to us and supporters of our show. Truly sister pod to drama, Oscar drama, drama wild. <laughs> Drama wild. Either. Oscar drama, drama <laughs> wild. Yeah. Um, this crossover event was the most ambitious in podcast history. And I had the time of my life. So thank you so much for having us on. I know. I love you guys. You're the best. Thank you so much. I love your podcast. I love everything about this. And I can't wait to see West Side Story win Best Picture. <laughs> I think this was the the best, most fitting conversation we could have together. And for a movie, a, a musical that totally deserves it. I'm I'm so happy we got to do this finally. We've been talking about this for so long. And I can't I wait know. to maybe do one again in the future. Mm, little teaser. <laughs> we really have to now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so Connor and Dylan, tell us about your podcast, about drama, where we can find you individually and uh, listen to you. Sure. So drama is a podcast about theater, pop culture, love, and life. We release weekly on every Wednesday, usually speaking with performers um, in the theater and Broadway scene. But we've recently, more recently, delved into some television um, actors. We talk about process. We talk about behind the scenes. But mostly we just have fun and we talk about memories from the different experiences that our guests have had. And we, because during the pandemic, no one had anything to plug. We just talked about everything. So it's, it's very much a pop culture podcast that heavily leans towards theater and um some people we mentioned today that were on, such as Colton Ryan um, from Dear Evan Hansen. We've had Kayala Settle from The Greatest Showman, who you all know as the singer of This Is Me. Um, I'm trying to think of some other film crossover folks that we've had, but it's it's primarily Broadway, Tony winners, Tony nominees. We just gab. It's so much fun. And you can find us wherever you find fine podcasts, but particularly Apple and Spotify. 
and online you got to give us the follow on ig at, at the drama podcast because we are the only one <laughs> I, I didn't say anything for once <laughs> <laughs> and we ask all of our guests what's one thing that you are wild for right now it can be a movie a tv show a book a daily dose of drama if you want to do that um i'm wild for stephen sondheim's two self-penned memoirs Look, I Made a Hat and Finishing the Hat, which I have owned for years and I have finally begun reading in honor of his memory. There'll be the final two books I read in 2022. I've been trying to read the number of books that the year lands on. So like 20, 21, 22. So, oh no, it'll be 21 then. Okay, great. Yeah. I just want to say The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City is appointment television and I'm absolutely wild for this season. It's um, firing on all cylinders. It is. Well, thank you guys again so much. Next time on Oscar Wilde, we will be going back in time, doing an Oscar Rewind, celebrating the 75th anniversary of the greatest Christmas movie of all time, It's a Wonderful Life. So excited to talk about that. And we will have a special guest on that to play a mini game where she will read us what she is calling hallmarkified <laughs> descriptions of Oscar movies with Christmas scenes. And we have to guess which ones they are, which will be very fun. I cannot wait. Oh, I haven't watched as many Christmas movies as I would have liked, but I did watch Sing All the Way today, the new Christmas gay movie on Netflix, and it's so wonderful. It's everything you need in a holiday movie. Feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Oscar Wild Pod. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next week. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Bye.